Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. My name is Christopher Turner, and I am your host. It's been probably, what, a week and a half, two weeks since I've been on here last. And I'm very glad to be back on with you. I think I say the same thing about every time, guys. Sorry about that. Especially when it's been a while between episodes. I just kind of don't know what to say at the beginning. And so I think the best thing to do right now, instead of kind of stumble around my words for the next five minutes, is just roll right into what we need to talk about today. Because I think there's some very important topics that are going to come up throughout this podcast. I can feel them. I've been getting downloads today. A lot of downloads. I've been going through a lot of very intense experiences over the last couple weeks, Uh, very intense personal internal experiences, and it's done something like open my eyes. Um, It's provided me another ego death, an experience of ego death, and it's really revitalized me in a way that I didn't think was possible. I'm going to try to describe all that to you in some way. And then I also want to talk about some of the downloads I've been getting, because they're kind of non-related to what I just laid out, but also very related, kind of the spark that uh, allowed me to see, I think, the idea that is forming in front of me. When I say in front of me, it's something I've written down. I have this this little napkin I've been jotting ideas down on today, and I'm, I'm interested to kind of talk through them with you. They're not well thought out. Literally what I got was just information that I had to try to put together, piece together, and that's One of the interesting things about the awakening process is you start to realize as you go through this process that the way that the world has been laid out for you, the way that you've been taught the world works, uh, is not true or is not entirely true. So either one of those two things, and it's hard to discern which. I think it's very varying degrees of both depending on what we're talking about, what aspect of life we're talking about. But in general, the fundamental idea that you make your ideas, that the vessel itself the body itself, the brain, the physical thing is somehow creating novel things in the world from nothing. It's kind of an illogical idea, but something that the secular world refuses to look at. That's kind of one of the ideas I'm going to prod for a second here as we start out, is this idea that everything is linear, that the way that the world works is something like action and reaction. And that's fundamentally not true. It relies on the idea of time. I'm going to read you a quote by Albert Einstein here in a couple of minutes. It's going to be the quote we go off of today. And then I have a couple other quotes that I want to uh, read to you that my girlfriend Bethany uh, actually texted me right as I was about to sit down and do this podcast. So it seemed very significant to me that she texted me these things. And you'll see why when I read them to you. Because some of the ideas that I've been playing with are pretty big. Some of the people that I'm going to be reading to you, uh, reading quotes from to you, Uh, had some pretty big ideas themselves. So, that being said, that idea that we're all taught in school, in this modern world, that action-reaction, you know, an object in motion stays in motion, time itself, the linear nature of the universe, the ability to discern everything in the universe through some kind of mathematical equation, through numbers themselves, um, deifying in a certain way the complexity of the universe and the code on which it relies, on which it functions. This being something like a piece of the truth, not the whole truth. Because the way that I get information and ideas is is not linear. It's non-linear. And from my understanding from the people that I've talked to that are also like me, psychic mediums, it's not the way they receive information either. 
And I don't think it's the way you receive information either. I think this is serious. Is this is a misconception we've that we've been taught a certain type of brainwashing, a certain form of manipulation in order to kind of control you, the vessel you, to possess you in a certain type of way and make you think that the only thing you can do to try to make yourself feel fulfilled is act in a linear way, act in a transactional way, consume things, and always look forward to a thing that doesn't exist, creating an illusion of sorts, the future, on which people rely a certain type of lust for the future, a place that doesn't actually exist, and a place in which you can place all of your aspirations and dreams in which you can have those things with no work. It's like the fundamental lie of the modern world. This is what we're going to be dealing with today. <laughs> yeah, I giggle when I say that, right? You guys are like, oh, well, that sounds fun. <laughs> oh. Anyways, I want to kind of clue you into what I'm using here too because there's some other things that have been happening and I feel uh, obligated to kind of explain to you the significance and the seriousness of uh, kind of the modern setting, I think, is the best way to put it. Um, that one of the things I've identified over the last couple weeks is something like technology itself is a representation of humanity itself. This is an idea that Elon Musk has actually talked about in uh, some of the podcast episodes. I think the first one with Joe Rogan where he smoked weed. <laughs> but the idea being something like technology is an extension of the human being. We have created this. So in a way, we are the gods of, the, of technology. But we are becoming quickly slaves to our own creation. And that one of the ways that that manifests is literally through the energy of the human being. So one of the dynamics that I've come to realize is that there is a fundamental misconception with the way the world works that everybody relies on that has been provided by the secular world. But something like what you think and feel internally doesn't stay with you internally. It is a representation and a reflection of both your insecurities and the world you see around you. So that when you interact with something that's tied to the rest of the world, like the internet, when you have a phone in your pocket that is constantly tied to every single other person in the world who has the same emotions, the same insecurities, the same fears, all of that, when everybody's using that same thing at the same time, what it does is opens your eyes to the reflection. You get to see you. Not only you that you like to see, but actually the parts of you you don't like to see, which is why people experience such drastic and uncontrollable emotions in regards to the internet in many different ways that can manifest kind of uh, what I've noticed is something like an egotism, a certain type of egotism, and that can, that can be realized in many different forms. So that... What we need to be careful of in the modern age is something like the, our own creation. That what I'm doing right now is holding a certain type of crystal called a black tourmaline. Uh, and many of you may not be familiar with crystals in the spiritual world, uh, but if you, any of you watch tarot videos or if you've ever dabbled in uh, that world, you'll know that there is a big um, industry essentially based on the selling of crystals and their different properties. Now. The secular worldview is going to tell you straight off that this is all 
garbage and that none of it's real. And if you choose to believe that, you can believe that. But I'm sitting here telling you from my anecdotal experience that these things are real, that they work. And all you have to do is adjust your perspective. Now, black tourmaline's properties it has a certain type of uh, protective effect against negative energies. So that, and specifically uh, against kind of the negative energies that emanate from technology, right? So that what I've done in my household is uh, something called gridding, which is placing crystals of certain prop with certain properties uh, at different places in your home to protect from energetic, um, what's the right word? Um, energetic confusion, I think is maybe the best way to put it, um, because we all human beings are both broadcasters and receivers so that uh, if uh, you live like let's say I do in an apartment complex and you have people living around you you're going to feel if you tune into it all of their energies and you already are doing that you may not realize how it manifests uh, but the best way to identify it is in uh, emotions and attitudes that don't feel like you and once you're able to recognize what you are then you can recognize what emotion and attitudes aren't you and then you can identify that that's a certain type of uh, energetic seepage that's happening from the people around you and that's also how you realize that you're the thing that can read other people that you can understand what they're going through oddly enough through your own insecurities that's how you identify it when you're talking to somebody and you have an insecurity that's triggered that most likely or sometimes not always but if you are sorted out properly and balanced what that can mean is that you're picking up on an energy that resonates with you inside of them and that's fundamentally how this stuff works we all are energetic beings. We're all fundamentally the same thing. We're all God. We're all the universe. We're a piece of the universe. We're each an individual perspective. So that the way that I know you is through knowing myself. But there's a lot of people that don't know themselves. There's a lot of people that think there's something other than what they are. And so you have to protect yourself from those type of energies, especially when you're engaging on anything with electronic, uh, that's electronic because it's connected in the modern world to literally the world. So, right now I'm holding my black tourmaline. I have black tourmaline next to my computer. I have a couple of other crystals that have other kind of significance to me to help me kind of connect with my guides, my higher self, and to deliver the proper message to you all. And I hope that all makes sense. And that's kind of an odd way to start the podcast, but I think there was a reason why I did that. Uh, I also have uh, other some uh, religious symbol, uh, symbols around me to help guide me and to keep me focused on the message that needs to be sent. Literally right now, I am listening to a uh, frequency, a certain frequency. That it's uh, 777 hertz, or I'm sorry, nine, nine, 999 hertz. Uh, it's the Jesus Christ Abundance Frequency. I've talked about these things before. This is a YouTube video, but you can search different frequencies, sound frequencies, um, especially if you want to focus on chakra healing, things like that. Certain parts of your body, let's say if you're mentally blocked or let's say you're having a trouble getting out certain words, you're having trouble having conversations with certain people, there's going to be representations of your, your throat chakra, or your third eye, or your crown chakra, or your, um, your sacral chakra, any of these things. It all represents a different aspect of you so that you can use sound healing, you can use light waves. I also have right next to me, I'm using something called a photon therapy system that my girlfriend Bethany allowed me to borrow uh, that I used last night. And it's uh, based on uh, uh, emitting photons of certain frequencies based on uh, and different colors that, to resonate with those aspects of yourself, the energetic aspects of yourself that are out of alignment to aid you with realigning yourself. Again, this may be a lot to take in for some of you, <laughs> But I promise you that 
I am being as serious as I've ever been about this stuff when I talk to you about them right now. That they work. And that another thing that I have going next to me is that right now. So that I can connect with the energies and stay balanced with myself, my higher self, while that I am connecting with the, the world through this medium that you're listening to right now. These are all things that I didn't do for the first 72 episodes that you've listened to uh, because I wasn't identifying uh, the dangers in the world properly. And I think this is a, this is a um, tripping point for many people because of the way that we've embraced technology. Um, I was talking with an idea uh, about an idea with my girlfriend last night, something like video games. We were talking about video games. And it's another aspect that I was, I was going over was that in a similar way, just like if you're, when you create anything, anything creative, if you create it, it's going to be a representation of you. The energies that you're in, both the positive and negative energies, are going to be imbued in that object, that thing, that creation, whatever it is, right? So that this podcast, when I created it, is literally an energetic embodiment of me and the things that I've been going through while I've been creating it. So, and you can listen to that, right? You can also hear this in music. That's why people resonate with certain types of music because you're like, oh, I'm hearing the same thing that I've gone through. Frequent, like a frequency resonance, and then you're attracted to that, right? But that can also work in a negative way. Something like the aspects of the self inside of human beings that aren't properly, that are most common, most commonly not properly sorted out. That's a mouthful, but most commonly not properly sorted out, right? Something like people, most people are afraid of themselves in certain ways, right? A lot of people are afraid in, in the modern world of themselves in very specific ways because of the way that the modern world is structured. So that when you create something like a video game, let's say like, let's take Grand Theft Auto, for example. That's the one that I was using as an example. Um, it's something like the way I'm viewing it now is something like an embodiment of all of the taboos that our society uh, has identified. Uh, and a venue in which you can explore and express those taboos, play with those taboos uh, in quotation marks, a safe way. But this right here, that safe quotation marks way is uh, the mistake we're making because you're still playing with the same energy, whether it's in a digital medium or a physical one. If you think that the energy of going up and killing somebody in a video game, another human being, and doing it in a violent way, let's say, some of the video games that do it in more of a sadistic way, right? Some of those very dark, some would say evil feeling games, right? If, you, if, you, if you're playing with those games and those energies, what you're doing is welcoming those energies into yourself. You're, you're playing with that side of yourself that likes that. That's a side of you, the shadow side of you that actually likes that taboo, likes that dark thing, likes that shadow and wants more of it right? So that if you aren't careful with that, what you will become is what you're consuming. That's not only significant in video games, that's significant in every form of media that you can imagine. Marketing, it's significant in movies and television. It's, it's significant uh, in, on your cell phones and video games. It's significant uh, in, in, in political systems and the way that they market themselves. Everywhere is a reflection of you and how much you hate those parts of yourself. in relationships, in romantic relationships, it is the exact same thing. If you go back through your life and you try to think about the relationships that didn't work, there's going to be aspects of yourself that were not sorted out as well, but you gotta be willing to see them. You'll realize that the things that you don't like about the other people are the things you don't like about yourself. Always. Always. 
That's a law. There's no debate about that. So that what I'm asking all of the people listening to this podcast right now, the reason I'm going into that so specifically is I think it's very important for all of us to think about these things in the proper context. That being, yes, the benefits of all of this technology that we've seen, the way in which we can create and express ourselves in beautiful and novel ways, ways in which, like I'm doing right now to you, that these are all not negative, nothing is all negative and nothing is all positive, that everything exists in the balance when properly viewed. But that in order to properly view it, you have to recognize the shadow side of technology and protect yourself against it, else you will become a victim to it because you're allowing yourself to be. So I digress, guys. Sorry for the long spiel there at the very beginning, but I felt like it was very important, all right? But I'm gonna go into the quote that I have for you today because it's more on topic with what I was referring to. This is a quote by Albert Einstein. Like I said, this is a quote, and hey, I guess we're supposed to listen, right? Um, (laughs) This is a quote uh, that my girlfriend, Bethany, sent me uh, right before I was about to start the podcast, and it, it, it seemed oddly relevant even though I don't know what I'm about to talk about, but you you get it, right? So um, (laughs) it goes, this is by Albert Einstein, it goes, a human being is part of the whole called by us universe. A part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and his feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. Again, a quote by Albert Einstein. Now, I'm sure many of you are wondering or maybe have felt while I was reading that, that doesn't sound like Albert Einstein, or maybe the Albert Einstein that I have a conception of, the one that I've been taught to know. What you'll find, what I've found, this is my truth, is that when I've gone back and engaged with the most significant figures in our history, figures like Albert Einstein, secular figures, figures that in our educational system, have defined them as something like knights of secularism, heroes of the secular world. That when you go and engage with most of these figures, very few of them were secular themselves. They may have described themselves as non-religious, but the way in which they engaged and got the ideas, the knowledge that they were playing with, was through tapping into the Akashic Record. I've talked about this before the universal knowledge base, the knowledge of all, the God force. The only way you're able to tap into that is to recognize what you are, a piece of it, to recognize how finite you are, and to accept the piece that you're meant to know. Figures you have done this, figures like Albert Einstein, are the figures that we idolize because they bring novelty into the world. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. The whole of nature. What does that mean? In its beauty. 
And that's even more significant. Because what does it mean to be whole? I'm thinking right now, the image that's popping into my mind is the, the, uh, the peace symbol, the yin and yang symbol, right? In, in numerology, it'd be represented by the number six and nine. You know, many people will laugh when I say that, right? Because it's associated with sexuality and things like that. But the numbers of the significance of the numerology, six and, six and nine together represents balance. It, re it represents masculinity and femininity. It represents the whole. That represents you, the universe self in balance. But what you'll see is if you look at that image of the peace symbol, you can even pull it up on your phone right now and look at it, you'll notice what it actually is is a depiction of two koi fish, and they're swimming in circles, and the white koi fish has a black eye, and the black koi fish has a white eye, and each of them are chasing the other's tail. They're swimming in circles, but they're in perfect balance with each other. The white koi fish is mostly white, but still has a piece of the darkness inside of it. And the same goes for the dark koi fish. It is mostly dark, but it still has a piece of the light in it. And this is true for every living thing in the universe. It's partially why, if you look at the movies like Star Wars, or any hero tale, period, what you'll notice is the hero is the villain and the villain is the hero. We've gone over this before, too. That the reason that we love Darth Vader is because Darth Vader was the hero that became the villain that became the hero. That character is showing you you can be both, and you can vacillate between both in one lifetime. You can go back and forth. Hold on one second, guys. I'm thinking of Batman too as a significant image, the Dark Knight specifically. That what you see is is the character of, of Batman himself becoming the villain to the city, taking on the role of the villain, accepting that as his burden and playing it. Not because he wants to be it, but he accepts that sometimes the hero has to be the villain. And that what you see in Darth Vader is something similar. It's a very, very hard distinction to make in those movies, something that I've only gotten through kind of analyzing it through other people and hearing their other, other people's thoughts on Star Wars. But it really hit me hard when I realized that what the dynamic between Luke Skywalker and Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader is a reflection of the shadow in each of them and a story of overcoming the shadow, but also of embracing it that you overcome the shadow through embracing it and, and that many times that means becoming the shadow and that what you see in Darth Vader is him initially you know being the chosen one in the in the first three episodes and then devolving at the end of the third episode into the darkness accepting you know the dark side into himself fully and what he does it through is anger right loss an inability to accept kind of the suffering that the universe is bestowing upon him, looking at it in only one unbalanced way, something is only there for, to, for suffer, needless suffering, a nihilism of sorts, instead of something like, uh, and as painful as it is, a lesson, a test of sorts that the individual is supposed to overcome, but that there is no wrong turns in the universe so that 
by failing his test in that he became the thing that enabled the figure like Luke Skywalker to destroy the Empire. That there is no other way that unfolds. That if you change even one small dynamic in that, it all fall apart, falls apart. That if you were to try to say, like save Anakin from becoming Darth Vader, there would be some other change. Somebody else would be affected by that. The darkness that is unrecognized inside of Anakin would jump to somebody else in which it could be recognized, in which it would be recognized. In which you'd have the same scenario play out anyway. There is no tampering with the universe or the larger plan of things. You do have free will, but your free will is not limitless. It doesn't mean you become God when you decide that you have free will. It means you control what you control still. Now you get the, now you have the challenge of identifying what you control. And the folly of that is if you misidentify what you control, you become responsible for everything you think you do control. And if you allow yourself to think you're God, you will become responsible for the entire world itself. You'll feel that and you will crumble. I believe that every single individual in this world has the ability to do what Albert Einstein did, to do what Tesla did. That Tesla describes experiencing uh, coming to ideas in a similar way to Albert Einstein, something like in a dream state, whether waking or non-waking, in a meditative state of sorts. Astral walking is what I would describe it as. But that they were being taken to some place in which knowledge is stored, in which they could activate certain memories and certain forms of information that their anecdotal experience allowed them to see. And that once they were deemed worthy deemed fit to hold the responsibility of that knowledge and to relay it to the rest of the world they were allowed to see it and that's how you have to treat yourself as well you're always you always know what you're supposed to know so that if you want to know more what are you going to sacrifice for that if you think you're enough to know more then why don't you already know more You're, you always know what you're supposed to. So that if you want to know more, you have to work on yourself. You have to realize your shadow more wholly. You have to integrate that more properly. So that those entities, those energies, the shadows that prowl the world and the universe themselves, that are meant to be there just like every other entity that was under creation, that they are there to test you. that your goal should not be to eliminate them, but to recognize what they are pulling apart inside of you because it's something that isn't properly sorted out. And that what those things feed on is fear. That what shadows feed on is fear. So that if you're afraid of something, that's where you'll be pulled apart. And that is the process that you have to repeat inside of yourself so that you can know more in the way I was just describing. If you want to know more, about how the universe works. If you think you're worthy of it, prove it. Show that you're the thing that can face the shadows inside of yourself. I'm going to read another quote here that my girlfriend sent. It's 313 right now. 
Maybe there's a significance to that. I'm going to look up the significance of 313 really quick for you guys. And we'll read. It says, one of the ways that numerology manifests, and I'm glad that it's doing it right now so I can give you an example. But if you ever have something like that where you have like a repeating number that you see that, or you see it over and over again, the good thing to do in the way that it, what is happening there, whether you perceive it this way or not, is something is trying to communicate to you and it's using the numbers around you to do that. Uh, the 313 seems significant when I just picked up my phone because of everything we've been talking about. So what I'm going to do is type into Google 313 angel number. And what that'll bring you to, um, one of some of the better sites are like Sacred Scribes, Angel Numbers. That's one that I usually go to. It's like the top one, angelnumbersmeaning.com. There'll usually be a little excerpt at the top of the page that'll give you kind of the short idea of what it means. But I usually like to go into the actual page because you'll have a little decent write-up of what 313 is representing. So I'm going to go ahead and read this and see what it means. So angel number 313, it says, Number 313 is made up of the attributes and vibrations of number 3 and the energies of number 1, with number 3 appearing twice, doubling and amplifying its influences. Number 3 relates to growth, expansion, and the principles of increase, creativity, spontaneity, broad-minded thinking, self-expression, and communication, encouragement, and assistance, talents, and skills. Number 3 also resonates with the ascended masters. Number one brings with it the attributes of self-leadership and assertiveness, initiative, instinct and intuition, new beginnings and a fresh approach. It also relates to motivation, striving forward and progress, and tells us that we create our own experiences with our intentions, thoughts, and beliefs. What have we just been talking about? Your guides and my guides are trying to give you an example of how this is true right now as you're listening. This makes 313 the number of optimism, enthusiasm, communication, creativity, and expansion. How do you expand? Through sacrifice. Angel number 313 is a message from your angels that the strong connection you have with the angelic realm and the ascended masters is assisting you with staying positive, light, and optimistic about your life. Pay close, close attention to your intuition and inner wisdom as you are being angelically guided towards the steps along your path. Trust the messages and promptings and take positive action with confidence and enthusiasm. It is time to live your truths and express yourself with clarity, purpose, passion, and love. Be a positive light to others. Angel number 313 is an indication from your angels that they are helping you to gain a positive and optimistic outlook and are helping to empower you so that you can walk your chosen path with confidence and grace. Be prepared to expand and develop your personal spirituality in new and exciting ways and look for opportunities to creatively express yourself from the heart. Use your natural interests, talents, and personality to bring joy and upliftment to others. So, this is the energy I am in, right? And I think you can probably tell that by what we've been talking about. Something like all of us, I believe, all of you, I think there's a message in this for all of us, that all of us are being talked to right now. Ascended masters are talking to us. That the way they talk to us is through us, through you and me, through ideas. And, and, and the way that they're able to embody us is through making this vessel the place that they would want to embody, if that makes sense. Making you the thing that is sorted out enough to be able to handle the information they're going to give you. Because if you're egotistical and you think you already know it, you're not going to hear it. So they're not going to mess with you, if that makes sense. <laughs> so that all of us, all of us listening here have ascended masters around us. What are ascended masters? I'll read that to you. 
Who and what are ascended masters? An ascended master is a great teacher, healer, or prophet who has lived a human life and who is now in the realm of spirit. An ascended master has transcended human limitations. Ascended masters come from every race, tradition, all religions, cultures, and civilizations, and have worked with mankind throughout our history and support us with many different aspects of our growth and learning throughout our everyday lives and are open to our requests for assistance and guidance and communicate with them. I have talked with ascended masters before. There's been very specific ones that I've talked to before that are very influential that I've talked about with you before that I don't, but I haven't described in that way. Uh, but these are actual people that have lived. People like Albert Einstein, you can connect with those people. The energy of him is here right now. It's the reason why I was reading that. Right? If it's saying that there's an ascended master with us, and I've read Albert Einstein, guess who's with us, right? That's how it works. You don't know beforehand, but you realize it after fact. Oh, that's who is talking to me, right? Let's see here. Ascended masters are enlightened spiritual beings who serve as teachers of the human race. They protect, guide, heal, serve, inspire, and teach mankind and can help us to grow and learn in all areas of our lives. Ascended masters help anyone who asks, regardless of their spirituality, religion, lifestyle, choices, background, or origin. Nothing inside of you is too bad, too profane, too nasty for you to be able to open a dialogue with people that have also experienced it. The ascended masters have realized those aspects inside of their self. That's why they are ascended. They're no different than you. The only difference between them and you is you're choosing not to show that side of yourself. Only difference. But they'll always talk to you because they want to help. The Ascended Masters are able to help an infinite number of people simultaneously as they are able to bilocate their energies. The Ascended Masters inspire those who search for spiritual awareness, upliftment, and guidance, just like when working with angels and archangels. You must ask for the assistance and or guidance from the Ascended Masters. Exactly. They're not just going to do it for you. You have to ask for it, which is partially why I've said these things don't turn on for you. You have to engage with them as if they're real because they are. If you go into a dialogue with somebody and you pretend like they actually don't exist, how do you think they're going to treat you? Not very nice. And that's exactly how these entities feel because they are real things. They have emotions. They, they have the everything that you have. So that if you don't treat them with the respect and dignity that they deserve and recognize what they are, they're not going to talk to you. Actually, quite the opposite. They're going to laugh at you because you're, you are choosing to hide yourself from totality. And you're so small and insignificant in that way that it's comical. And they will laugh at you. So I hope that's not too forceful for any of you. But I think it's significant that, that we that's kind of the little rabbit hole we went down. Anyway, I'm about to move on to the next excerpt that I was going to go to, right? That's what hit when I saw 313 on the phone. So maybe there's another Ascended Master that is near us right now that is trying to get another message through. You'll find that as well, that it's not just one. There's a lot of energies that'll try to talk to you. If you open it up, open yourself up to it. You also have to be careful with that because there's energies that don't have your highest good in mind. So when you're talking with things, you want to make sure that you put out the intention that I am trying to realize my highest self, and that's the best way to put it, right? But that when you're coming at anything from that energy, what you'll find is help. There's endless amounts of help from energies that have been in your situation before, have feel your pain, and that want to help you and have compassion for you. And that will always be there for you. That you never have to feel like you're alone. Not one single person in this world is alone, ever. Not one single living thing in this world is, is alone, ever. 
I'm going to read actually a quote by Oprah Winfrey at the top that I hadn't read yet on this page, which is odd because it was right at the top of the page, but I'll read it to you. So we'll, we'll read it together, I guess, for the first time. This is by Oprah Winfrey. The greatest discovery of all time is that a person can change his future by merely changing his attitude. Do the one thing you think you cannot do. Fail at it. Try again. Do better the second time. The only people who never tumble are those who never mount the high wire. This is your moment. Own it. Again, that's a quote by Oprah Winfrey. I think that's, that's beautiful. And that's spot on. You're the one that limits yourself, nobody else. In that, you can recognize that if you're blaming anything outside of yourself, you are wrong. There's no debate about that. We are all children of the Earth Mother. This is a quote out of, the, actually, before I start this, out of a book called Indigo Children, Cheeky Monkeys. It says, understanding and celebrating the uniqueness of every child. So this is a book focused on kind of cultivating the creativity and the individuality within children. And it's written by Scott Alexander King and Dr. Ralph Ballard. uh, And he is a MBBS. So I am going to read this excerpt from, this is from the uh, preface of the book. uh, But I read this earlier and I thought it was really significant and really enlightened. uh, Really a good perspective to approach the world and children especially with anyways and this actually kind of gets to what i was talking about earlier that the way in which people go around the world thinking that they don't broadcast their energies the things that they're struggling with internally and that they don't infect other people with those things um, is fundamentally wrong and it's actually part of the problem so that we are all children of the earth mother born with equal aptitude and prospect with this in mind I have written this book as a way of encouraging everyone to identify and embrace their strengths and weaknesses equally and do what needs to be done to honor them to their fullest potential, to honor them. We must all improve our attitude and our behavior. In doing so, our kids will have admirable mentors to look up to and worthy examples to follow. Only as a people can we hope to bring our planet back to a place of balance and harmony. We need to look at our diet, the products we use to clean our homes and the lifestyles we lead, and go back to the self-sufficient approaches adopted by our ancestors and the natural remedies gifted to us at the beginning of time by the Earth Mother herself. We all need to be held accountable as a united tribe for the poverty, pollution, tyranny, corruption, and fear gripping our beautiful world, and agree wholeheartedly to reject them forever. And most importantly, We need to see our children for what they are. And this is important. Reflections of our own fears, errors, and vulnerabilities. What if our kids are not spiritual saviors emerging in mass to bring back peace to the land? What if we have simply reached critical mass? What if all the pollutants we have been pumping into the atmosphere, the preservatives we have been lacing our foods with, the hormones and growth supplements we have been force-feeding our beef, lamb, and chicken to make them grow bigger and faster, the chemicals used to enhance the look and taste of our food, and the toxic materials used to make our shampoos, soaps, and house-cleaning liquids. What if all these impurities that have been damaging our environment for years have finally raised their ugly head within our children? What if, like the osprey, whose young are negatively affected forever, or killed before they hatch by the pollutant-laden fish they consume over generations, our kids are paying for the sins of our fathers. If this is the case, 
then I feel pretty confident when I say we are fast approaching a global breaking point. So, rather than continuing to dance with the devil as we are now, I urge you to join me in my bid to show accountability by changing how we live and how we treat the earth and each other by doing what we can to reverse the process. That's from the book Indigo Children and Cheeky Monkeys. Again, and that is written by Scott Alexander King and Dr. Ralph Ballard, MBBS. I got a lot of energy when I was reading that. I started to shake a little bit. That's another thing you can recognize inside of yourself. Especially, you know, when you're in a kind of a grounded state, if other energies enter in when you're kind of really calm, you know, and relaxed, then you recognize, oh, that's kind of not me, right? So there's something about the intensity of the message that we just read that caused in me something like an excess of energy. Because I think there's a lot of, there was a lot of things that were very significant and correct and spot on in what he just said in its entirety, actually, in the energy of what he's saying, I think he is correct, spot on. That what I would expand on that with is something like I would add something at the end. Like that, that we, not that we fix, it's something like this. Sorry, hold on one second, guys, I gotta open the phone again. Something like, I urge you to join me in my bid to show accountability by changing how we live and how we treat the earth and each other by doing what we can to reverse the process. I completely agree, I, but I think I'd add an asterisk to that, and it would be most effectively realized in the world through individuals fixing themselves. So that if you want to fix the environment, right? And he already he was getting at that, but I'm just expanding on that idea that if you want to fix the environment, if you want to fix other people, right? If you want to fix the way that you see other people and the way that they scare you, Sorry, guys. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. I'm going to pause for a second because I'm, I'm listening to some music in the background to the frequencies and it went on to an ad. So it completely like caught me off guard and stopped my chain of thought. So we're going to go backwards. And it'll be a second. And we're good. Okay. But I did just lose my train of thought there too. Sorry about that, guys. It definitely definitely hit me hard when that music stopped and somebody just started talking in my ear anyway i try to get back on the point but that the way that you fix the world is by fixing yourself that if you don't like the reflection you see in people that you have to realize that's what it is is a reflection that you got to fix yourself you have to understand what makes you scared inside what are you afraid of you know in what ways are you afraid to be vulnerable and that really is the best way to think about it is in vulnerability in terms of vulnerability and opening yourself up to the world and allowing the world to see what you are to stop hiding and most people will say I'm not hiding I know who I am and I'm never gonna I'm never gonna tell you you don't but I will ask you what you're afraid of and if that question has an answer then I'll tell you there's something that's not sorted out I don't think anybody's ever sorted out in the way that people like to think I don't think I am I think recognizing that there's aspects of me that there's things in this world that can make me afraid and embracing that is actually what makes me strong. So that I can recognize when I get that response that it's not the proper way to feel. It's not the proper, the proper it's, that's not the right way to put it either. That fear is a natural thing to, to feel and that you rec through recognizing that you can control it. You can, you can recognize its positive and negative attributes. 
Something like fear being the thing that when overcame allows for growth. Allows for you to take, take on more information as we were talking about earlier. Conquering fear. You know, what do you see in all of the movies, you know, with the hero is something like if you were to place yourself in the hero's spot, you'd notice that the hero is fighting fear. Just doing it in a very externalized way, you know, in a war scene or in a, you know, an epic like, you know, the Odyssey or whatever it is against monsters, right? But you're always fighting fear. So that the positive attribute of fear is like if you didn't have fear, you wouldn't grow. You need fear. Embrace that aspect of it. You need it. Once you are able to embrace that, then you'll look for it. You'll look for it inside of yourself. And then you'll see it won't take you very long. Immediately you'll recognize, oh shit. Yeah, I'm just way scared of that. Then you'd be like, why am I why am I scared of that? And you have to follow that and be honest with yourself and follow that question down to its root. And once you find the root, you'll notice you'll get very emotional. You may cry. You may be terrified of what you're about to see inside of yourself. But embracing that and embracing that side of yourself is what will release it. It's what will keep those demons, how you want to refer to them, those, those shadows from being able to manipulate you because you're no longer hiding from them. As I said before, as Jordan Peterson put it, you're facing the dragon and you're showing the dragon that you are the dragon too. That you know what you are and once they see that, they run. Because you're balanced. You're not only the dragon. You're the hero too. You're the villain and the hero. <laughs> I'm liking this episode, guys. <laughs> it's 330 when I say that. I'm getting a lot of number hits right now. This actually isn't, like, we haven't even gotten to what I wanted to talk about today, oddly enough. We're at about 47 minutes, but it doesn't matter how long we go on here. I'm going to continue to talk because I think there's more to get out as well. Now, the next idea I'm going to talk about with you guys is something that I haven't really sorted out very well yet. Like I said, this is one of the downloads I was getting today, so I don't even know what it means. But I'm going to try to explain it to you, and I actually, I may even, once I get it written down on something nicer than a napkin, because <laughs> it's what it's written down on right now, um, it's the only thing I had around me, and it was literally like as soon as the idea started coming, I was like, I need to get a pen, 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 pen. It was very intense, right? Like, this is important. Um, but it's on a napkin right now, and essentially what I was thinking about was that kind of what we're talking about now was realizing the shadow self, right? Realizing that you are everything you hate. You're everything you're scared of. The fear is what energies of that type use to travel. And that's once you're able to control your fear, you're able to kind of control that manipulative game they play with you. And it's also associated to philosophical ideas. So what I was thinking about, I guess I will kind of talk you through the way that I had this idea and what it started with was a couple of days ago I started to get this idea of the masculine and the feminine you know if you had to embody the masculine and the feminine you know anthropomorphize them as we already have they're already anthropomorphized but if you had to imagine that figure right a male and a female figure but imagine also kind of you know in like clouds above their heads you know words that describe their positive attributes right and you start imagining those words you know like um like for the ma masculine like physical strength right like uh like uh um pr uh protection right like being um um honor i think would be another one 
right? Um, that kind of chivalrous intent in some ways. Um, in in some ways, I think like proper structure, I guess, is what I would identify with the masculine, Not, uh, balanced structure. But then also, if you had to identify the, the, the positives of the feminine, you'd get this nurturing aspect, right? The idea of the mother, right? Uh, love itself, I think, coming from the from uh, more of a feminine aspect. Um, the uh, self-love, definitely. Um, but uh, beauty is another one, right? Like beauty, physical beauty too. Um, you, you, you get what I'm saying. I can go through all of them and continue to name things, but you understand like there's these differences in the positive attributes of the idea of masculine and feminine at the same time, just like everything else we've been talking about today, there's also negative aspects to that. That there's negative attributes to the feminine and there's negative attributes to the masculine. And the ways in which those attributes manifest in the world are different. And it's something like what I was thinking about was something like politically. So that what I've seen what I've seen happen over, let's say, maybe the last I guess we could say 10 years or so, but it's been really hyper um, distilled in the last three or four years with Donald Trump. But it was this like woke movement, right, is the best way to describe it, I guess. But also the attachment in that woke movement to the idea of the masculine, right, being the source of not evil necessarily, but of corruption, I think is the best way to put it. Uh, That one of, I guess, the ideas that... uh, that, that the problem in society is something like men themselves and men's inability um, to be what the feminine needs, I think, right? Uh, and, and men's, and then also the belief that men's proclivity to subjugate women in, its, in, in the idea of femininity in its entirety um, has caused kind of a revulsion or a, a snapback of sorts that's... Um, it's uh, exactly uh, it's 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 exactly which is manifesting exactly the negative attributes uh, of the feminine that are not properly identified right now, so that we're seeing those politically manifest. I think, and this is one of the things I I, I was getting to, and maybe this actually is something that's been happening more in the last hundred years or so, because one of the things I associated. I was associating with was something like the idea of femininity and masculinity if you represented them in a political system that the negative attributes if you took the negative attributes of the masculine and you had to try to think of a political system that would represent those attributes those unbalanced attributes which political system would it be and the idea that came to my head was a despotic king right so something like a monarchy with one king at the the throne and the type of control that comes from that, right? The type of structure that is very one-sided, very singular, it's based on a singular perspective and that is experienced in a certain form of slavery, certain type of slavery. Um, That being the negative attribute, right? So what I did is I wrote down despotic king and I wrote down under that or over that the masculine, right? And then on the other side, I wrote the feminine and I put, put a line between those two things and I wrote under that the despotic state, And what I meant by that was something like the representation of the unbalanced feminine being kind of the fear-based nurturer. Something like like the, the idea that the bleeding heart idea, that the way that we help people is through uh, fixing themselves for themselves. That's the best way to put it, right? And so that if you carry this idea 
into a political environment, the way it manifests in the most unbalanced way is something like a despotic state or communism itself. I think that's the best way to put it is like the idea of the communist state is something like I, I am thinking, and again, I'm talking, I'm going through these ideas, but I am thinking it's something like a representation of the unbalanced feminine in a political form. And that the representation of the unbalanced masculine is the despotic king. And that was the law of the land for most of human existence. But that what we've experienced actually, and this is interesting, maybe since the dawn of the United States is a reversion to that and something like an attraction to the feminine political aspects. But that we, are, we have seen throughout the 20th century the unbalanced nature of that through Russia and the Soviet Union. Uh, you know, with uh, Stalin and, and uh, Lenin and all of the millions of the genocide that came from that, uh, the genocide that came from Mao, the genocide that came in Cuba, was it what that happened in Cuba, like all of the uh, around the world, right? Um, everything that spr sprouted from that form of government and then the, the, the genocide that's still going on in communist China today with the Uyghur Muslims, right? So like this, this idea that there's a, a, connection and, and and then under that so that's what i wrote right i'm sorry i'm getting a little ahead of myself you can see how un, like confusing the idea is but it's something that i'm sorting through so under the feminism i wrote something like the communist state and under the father uh, for the unbalanced version the negative side and under the masculine side i wrote the despotic king or the despotic monarch right and then under that i wrote a attribute kind of a bigger idea attribute that plays out in the world uh, kind of you were to play the idea of the despotic king to its worst end and you were to play the idea of the kind of um, despotic state to its worst end, what you would get to in the world most realized is something like under the masculine slavery itself and under the feminine genocide itself. Because that's what I've seen in the world throughout history when these forms have manifested, Right? Now, then I, as soon as I wrote those down, then I realized, but there's positive sides too, and I need to write the positive side. So on the outside of those words, I wrote, I put two lines on the outside, and I put a plus sign on each side of those, you know, so kind of encircling the negative attributes. And at the top of that, under those, I had initially the idea that there's a, what would be the positive? You know, if I have the negative manifestation, in a political sense of the masculine when what would the positive manifestation of the masculine be in a political sense and i realized and i wrote down moral monarch now what does that mean well it's something like a divinely guided king a king who doesn't view themselves as god but takes still takes guidance from source so that it's still dis it's still dis um there's still an aspect of unfreedom because of the control in a singular space that that entails, but it's moral in its objective. That's the best way to put it, right? And so I wrote that down for the positive side on the masculine side. And then on the feminine positive side, I was trying to think of like, well, what is the positive manifestation politically of the feminine? And it hit me and I was like, oh, it is the U.S., it's democracy itself. The positive manifestation of the feminine in a political sense is democracy itself. And so that hit me pretty hard when I, when I hit, realized that because then I realized kind of what I was just laying out to you that there's been a timeline to this, that it's something like 
the Western world and the old world are representations of the old world was overrun and unbalanced by the unbalanced masculine. And in response to that, the unbalanced or the we had the balanced feminine manifest for a period of time, which produced a certain uh, produced a certain type of prosperity. The three hundred years that we've experienced over the, in the United States, but that we didn't stop at the proper point with that, and we went all the way to the opposite extreme. So that what we're experiencing now is something like the devolving of democracy, and the realization of the communist state, or of socialism itself through this bleeding heart mentality and political message. Now, the scary thing about that is what it leads to is genocide every time. Every time. <laughs> There's no, I mean, every single example we have in, human, in, in world history of that type of political system being implemented, it ends in genocide. Millions of people dying, being murdered because they don't fit the archetype that the state sets out. So they're eliminated. But then under that, or above that, you know, I, I, was, I was following a weird path. So above the democracy, I was like, okay, well, what's the smaller idea of democracy, right? Like, what, is the, what does the idea of democracy stem from? What would then a, 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 a microscopic scale of democracy look like? And I, I thought, liberty, because it's individual. Individual liberty, freedom, right? The ideas that the United States is based in. That liberty and freedom, individual freedom is... Um, I believe a, a, a fundamental feminine quality because it's based in self-love. And I believe that self-love is a fundamental feminine quality. Not that masculine... That the, and, and I need to be very careful with how I describe that, guys, because I don't mean that men aren't don't have self-love. I mean that you have to realize the feminine aspects of yourself to show yourself self-love. That men and women experience self-love when they're properly balanced, but that it is a more feminine characteristic. The nurturing characteristic of self-love is more feminine. And that's what I mean by that. Okay, so that liberty is a form of self-love, a form of the individual, a form of the a love of higher self, of the version of you that could, when properly expressed, produces novelty. And that if I wanted to go bigger than that. If I wanted to blow the idea up at a grander scale, that democracy in a positive, or that the, the feminine represented in a positive sense at a grander scale is something like justice properly defined. Justice properly defined. Yes. Yes. And because in, in a similar way, I'm having, a, I'm trying to connect that with the feminine aspect, but I do believe, and I have, I'm having a hard time doing it right now. Um, but I do believe there's a connection there, and just not seeing it right now. That that justice is a feminine, or at least based in a positive feminine attribute of some sort. But I'll have to maybe talk, you know, talk with my girlfriend and stuff. A lot of times I get ideas, and she'll connect things like that for me because we're both like limited in our perspective, just like everybody else. So that if there's a blind spot for me, like I think I may have right here. If I talk to her about it or somebody that I care about with that has, you know, a similar but opposite perspective, I can glean insight on that that I didn't have before. And when you view it in that way, when you view other people as that way, in, in that way as, as a piece of you that you don't have, that you can, 
when connected to properly, realize yourself more fully, then it actually becomes quite fun. An adventure of sorts, right? So that's the positive female attributes that I identified. And remember I said on the positive male attributes, masculine attributes for the political system being something like a moral monarch. Um, the loved king, right? The loved king, the idolized king, that, that idea. Um, and then, so I did the same thing on that side. I said, okay, so what's the smaller idea? What's the individual idea of the moral monarch? And because I had that idea, I just told you that, well, if it manifested, it'd be something like people still being controlled in some way, but doing it through love, love for the monarch, love for the leader, right? And belief in the leader and the leader's attributes. So that led me to faith. So that some, that, that at an individual level, what the positive attribute of a masculine attribute at an individual level is faith. Faith in something bigger than yourself. Even if it is an individual that is, that is manifesting divine qualities. Something like that, right? So, and then at a larger level, at a global level, what, what would that look like, right? What would the positive aspect of masculinity look like? And I the words that came to my head were divine unity. And at first I was like, what does that mean? Divine unity. And I think what that means is something like the, the masculine recognizing the hero within itself. Human, no, that's not right. Humanity in its entirety, recognizing the hero within itself. Yeah. And you see like how I was able to put that together a little easier because I, I have a masculine perspective. But that when I was trying to identify the positive attributes of the feminine, I, I am limited in there because I have, there's aspects of anecdotal aspects that I've never experienced that I have to have filled in for somebody else that has. So I'm very interested to talk, like I said, with Bethany more about this and see what her ideas are on the positive and negative aspects of the feminine and, and masculine. Because I also want to clarify that what I'm saying here and the ideas I'm talking about, I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you of. I'm not, I'm not telling you this stuff to convince you of them. I'm simply relaying what I believe I'm piecing together for myself that's making sense in my anecdotal situation and experience. And relaying it to you so that if there is something that is true in this, I can realize that through not only myself, but through you too, right? And so that we can all, you know, leverage whatever this is. And that's kind of the idea, right? Um, that we all think, I know in, instinctively, intuitively right now that the systems in which we are, uh, we have operated for the last hundred years at least have been antiquated for longer than that, for something like a couple hundred years. You know, the school system and the, the, our economy itself has had problems with it that we kind of swept under the rug and refused to look at, poverty problems, things like this, that are just intrinsic built-in issues within the systems that we have integrated, but that we have willfully buried our heads in the sand uh, in order to avoid viewing the negative attributes of the system we've created because we like to believe that it, all the work's done, that we've fixed everything, and that all we get to do now is just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride, and that is never true. And also, you don't want to do that. Try it for a couple of weeks, see how you like it. <laughs> so... 
a little bit deeper and then we're going to end this one, guys. I know this has been quite a long one, but I have been really, really enjoying this episode. So I want to make sure I end it properly. Now, I went a little bit deeper than that and I tied in more of a spiritual, my spiritual belief into this this depiction that I was drawing. And again, maybe I, you know, I will post a picture of this for you guys on the Facebook page so you can see, you know, I'm sure this has been very hard to imagine in your head what I'm seeing or how, what I'm saying. I hope it hasn't been, but if it has, I'll post a picture of this Well, when I post the, uh, the episode so you can actually go and look at the napkin that I was drawing. Apologies for like the spelling and stuff and the, the, it's on a napkin with a pen that didn't write very well. So it's very hard to read, but I think if, especially if you, if you follow along and look at it while I'm talking about it, you'll understand kind of what I was doing. So anyway, the, um, the last idea that came to me as I had worked kind of inward out with this idea visually was that there's a grander idea in this too, that the spiritual representations kind of the, um, uh, affirmations that we repeat in at least my religious background, like Christian uh, Catholicism, Christianity. You know, when when I when I pray, when I say a prayer, you know, at the end of it, I always say Amen, which means I believe, right? And then I I make the sign of the cross, one right over my third eye, where I touch my third eye, I touch my uh, my heart, right? I touch my left side on my shoulder, and I touch my right side on my shoulder, and then I kiss my hand, like that. Now, what I repeat when I say that is I say, in the name of the Father, when I touch my third eye, and the Son, when I touch, uh, touch my heart, uh, and Holy Spirit, when I'm doing my either shoulder, right? So, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, like, Holy Spirit is, like, one on each shoulder kind of a thing, right? Now... The reason I'm, ex- I'm describing that is because that's the idea that I was th- all of a sudden popped into my head, which was odd. It seemed out of place when I was thinking about p- in a political context uh, and more philosophical context, how these things play out. But then all of a sudden, religiously, I started thinking about it. And I realized that if those representations, that affirmation represents something more significant, deeper then there was an aspect that I was thinking about how the idea happened was something like father and son. I was thinking about in the name of the father and the son. So it was like, what aspects of the father and son entails opposite? In what ways are the father and the son the opposite? And as soon as I asked myself that question, I realized the son is a reflection of the father. It is a compartmentalization, a creation of the energy of the father, both the positive and the negative, right? But that the aspects that manifest in the child oftentimes is the negative reflection or not necessarily negative. I don't want you to think about it that way. Not that children manifest the negative attributes of their their parents, but that the things that you don't like inside your kids are the negative attributes you haven't sorted out inside of yourselves. So in that idea, so that the word son not representing a gender in any way but that the, the figure of the son representing the reflection. So that father and son, I placed the word father over the masculine and son over the feminine because I view this, the feminine and the masculine as reflections of the selves. Now, I also want to make sure that you understand I am not making a, a, a value equation out of that. I am not placing father over masculine because I view the father as more significant than the son. That is not how I'm viewing it, simply trying to sort out the energy of it. 
so that I believe that the representation, there's a deeper significance to this that's not supposed to be gendered here. And it's something like the reflection of the self, the father and the son, the mind and the spirit, which is what I touch when I'm making the uh, sign of the cross, and the father, the son, so the integrated self and the Holy Spirit, the energy of the world. Not only the energy of the world, but the highest version energy of the world. What's the highest good for the world? It's also your highest good. So that what that made me want to draw at the bottom of this was something like a... What are those called? Um, anyway, I basically drew like a semicircle, a half circle, connecting both sides of the positive, the masculine and the feminine, and the feminine, and encompassing the negative sides as well. So that totality is the Holy Spirit. And then I went one step further. And for some reason, I was thinking about reflection, and I started thinking about the idea of death. And then I thought reflection, and I realized what's the reflection of death? Life. And so, inside of the semicircle, basically, all of those aspects I just wrote down, out, I wrote life. And then outside of the semicircle, outside of the parentheses, I wrote death. And I wrote that with the Holy Spirit. So, I know many of some of this might be a little bit overwhelming or a little bit confusing or probably a lot confusing, but again, I don't know what it means entirely. Uh, I'm curious to see um, what comes of this as I talk about it more with the people that I care about. But I wanted to share it with you today because I think it may be significant. And I may, I think it may be some of you out there might have some of the gaps to fill in what this is. But that when I saw the Holy Spirit encompassed, the urge I got was to take the napkin and fold it into a circle connecting both positive sides so that all the positive and negative attributes of the feminine and the masculine were facing themselves. And in that I see the yin and yang symbol that we started with. The koi fish circling each other. Masculine and feminine. Darkness and light. And with that, guys, <laughs> that's the Unfounded Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode today, and I really hope that what I talked about today um, wasn't too much for any of you. And if it was, uh, my apologies. Um, never my intention to bombard you with energy that you're not expecting. At the same time, uh, if that is how you feel, that's nothing. That's not bad. Uh, that just simply means that this is not my message is not the message that you're resonating with right now, and I appreciate your perspective as well. I want you to know that. So with that being said, um, I hope you all are doing really good out there. I hope you're doing well. Um, as we kind of come out of this winter time, this, um, you know, we start to see the springtime, um, you may notice that you're going to have a lot of energetic and, and emotional things popping up. Um, that's one thing that me and Bethany have been talking about as well, is that we notice that March seems to be a significant time. Um, for kind of the things that are uncomfortable inside of you for some reason. And we're trying to put together why that is, but I feel compelled to share that with you as well. So that if any of you are, for some reason, wondering like, why am I having a hard time right now in March? 
if you are having a hard time, that may be why. Because there's something significant about this time frame, this yearly cycle. That it's something like a time frame which in which the shadow side of you, the shadow self, and the things that prey on that side of you are more are more prominent. So that um, that isn't a horror story. That's actually an opportunity for you to wake up. And that's the best way to look at it. All right, guys. And with that... That is the Unfounded Podcast signing off. I am sending you all a whole lot of love. I missed talking to you all, and I will be back on here very soon with a lot more for you. Bye-bye.